Welcome to From the Back Tees, a podcast where we tee it up from the back every week. Welcome to the From the Back Tees podcast. I'm Zach. As always, we got the main crew. It's November 16th. The Masters has just ended. DJ, the big winner. But before we get to it, we have a very special guest. Reed, I'll let you do the introduction. Um, well, before I say his name, Zach, I want to uh, preface that it is not um, Peter and Lois, or not his mom and dad. We, uh, we have Chris Griffin, one of my favorite people in the entire world, uh, a guy that lives up in the Northwest, um, a guy I've always enjoyed being around, has some success playing, uh, a lot of success teaching. Uh, Chris Griffin, how are we doing? I'm doing well, buddy. Um... I kind of think I should be getting some royalties from that show. Obviously, I'm older than that show, and <laughs> everybody I tell my name to, they're like, oh, how about that show? I'm like, yeah, I get it. Never heard that before. So you like never it's all good, that though. On, like the Google search. Yeah, and actually, my brother's name is Brian, so kind of got That's two incredible. of us off there, but no no Peters, no Loises, none of that stuff, but uh, we got a Brian and a Chris. Are you sure you don't know uh, what's his name? Who's the guy who started it? Maybe you know him. Seth McFarland. Wait, Maybe he like knows you. I w- I wish I did. He'd be a good guy to know, right? I think that's something you can make some uh, some sponsorship money off, Chris. Be pretty good. I would like that. Yes. Yeah, so before we get started, I guess uh, maybe Reed or Chris give some like background. You two have known each other for some time now. Yeah, Chris. I'll let you go. Uh, let's uh, let's hear about uh, how you got started golfing and how you've gotten to where you're at nowadays with your uh, with your. Academy and whatnot. Yeah, so um started playing golf as a kid, like all of us probably did. Uh, my dad got me into the game. He kind of started hating it because he wasn't very good and it took forever to play. So I started playing soccer, um, played most of that through up to high school. And, and a buddy said, dude, you should come out for the golf team. And went out for the golf team and got pretty good pretty quick. Um, thought about going to play some college golf, played a year at a community college. Uh, sat out my second year to transfer somewhere and thought I got so good I'd turn pro and tried it for a little bit. Um, but soccer was always my first love and golf kind of came second. Uh, and I kind of figured, dude, where's where's soccer going to take me? I'll, maybe I'll do something in golf. And um, so I turned pro in probably 99. Um, you guys might not have been born yet, but I, I turned pro in 99. Uh, <laughs> Working at a working at a facility up here called Tacoma Country and Golf Club for a long time, and there was a head professional there named Rich Friend, uh, who kind of just took me under his wing and and was a great guy. So I worked for him um, back and forth through college and all that stuff, and then started working in the golf industry in about 2000 uh, as an assistant pro and, and, uh, and um, worked through there. Got my class A, played a bunch of section events. And, that's where I met Reed. I met Reed at the Oregon Open. He was playing with one of my good buddies, Ryan Benzel, and uh, it was a one pro, one am kind of thing. And, and we played together, and I watched Reed hit it about 400 yards on every hole. And I'm like, dude, what am I doing playing golf if people can do this out here? Um, and so that's kind of where I got my start in the section. Had some success playing in the section and um, won the Washington Open in 2013. Uh, played a lot of section events and um, – 2009, I, I went and gave it a go. I, I went and just quit my job at Tacoma and said, screw it, I'm going to go uh, go give it a try. And so I played full time from 2009 to 2000, like probably middle of 2011, uh, stretched about 40 grand for almost two and a half years, making house payments at home, doing all that, and just kind of realized I didn't hit it far enough. Um, back then, I was probably hitting it 275 and it just it wasn't enough I mean I was playing Canadian tour and playing some state opens and there were some courses I could have a lot of success on and there were some courses that were just bigger ballparks that I had no chance and I just kind of said I'm I'm done doing this and I didn't want to be 45 and look back and say coulda shoulda woulda so I'm glad I went and did what I did Um, so I played like I say just over two and a half years full-time went to tour school went to PGA tour school back in the day uh, when you could make it to the PGA tour and there was three stages and um I made it to second stage twice, but never made it to finals and kind of just said, you know, this wasn't as fun as I thought it would be out here. All the travel, doing all that stuff. Um, I'm going to go back to work and went back to work at Tacoma Country Club and just have been enjoying it ever since. And um, 
you know, I like playing at the section level. I like playing with all the boys. Uh, you remember Reed back in the day, it's like a fraternity with all your club pro buddies. And um, I played in the national club pro three times, I think. Um, and it's, you know, I enjoy getting the competitive side that way. Um, you know, and then obviously just was teaching a lot at the club and kind of happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I knew Kyle Stanley when he was a kid, I, I met Dre out in, in Canada. Um, I met Michael Putnam at the club and, you know, I think my playing background kind of got me in with those guys a little bit and they, they kind of started asking me questions and, and kind of just evolved into teaching some guys, you know? So Chris, that's, that's where I was going to go next. Um, for those who don't know you and some of your teaching success you've had on the PJ, maybe kind of go into some background of who you worked with and who you've worked with the most and, and, and so forth. Yeah. So like I said, I, I was working at the club at the time after my little sabbatical of playing and I met Dre up on the Canadian tour. I, I've known Kyle, boy, since he was about 15 years old, just from being up in the area here, him and I used to play a little bit of golf together back in the day, uh, quite a bit older than him, obviously, but another guy up here, Tony Robodeck, and we all played golf together. And just people ask me all the time, how'd you get hooked up? And I just really tell them I was right place at the right time. These guys were all members at the club that I worked at. And I think they, you know, I think they respected the level that I kind of played golf at and started picking my brain about some things about the golf swing. Um, and it just evolved into to working with them, you know. So I, at one point I was working with Michael Putnam, Andres Gonzalez, and Kyle Stanley, who were all on the PGA Tour at the same time, which was pretty fun to travel a little bit here and there. Obviously, I was working at the club, so I couldn't travel a bunch. Um, I'd work with them a lot when they were at home at the club, and then they'd go out for two or three weeks and, and come back, and we'd get some more work in. And then that, that involved, uh, evolved into Dre asking me to caddy for him a couple times um, when he was kind of in between caddies and, and I was just kind of parting out at leaving the club. And so I went and caddied for Andre and Napa one week. Uh, hey, Napa, let's go drink some wine. Let's, let's hang out in the sun. And it rained for six days straight. And it was <laughs> absolute brutal caddying. I mean, I had blisters on top of blisters. I was soaked for six days straight. I couldn't rake a bunker to save my life. I lost the umbrella. I mean, it was, it was brutal. Um, but I enjoyed every second of it. And, um, so it just kind of evolved into me working with these guys. And then I left the club in 2016, which, which allowed me to free up and travel more full time with these guys. And most recently I traveled from, uh, June of 19 at the U S open at Pebble beach. I traveled full time with Kyle Stanley, uh, until, uh, she's Phoenix open of, of this year, just before COVID. So traveled for about five months full time and, and, kind of read you saw it when I say full-time I was out there Monday to Sunday as you see most instructors kind of maybe there. we're helping them prep you were watching and watching his round and watching you know figuring out something you can yeah. work on yeah and it was it was totally awesome like I gained so much information by just watching him play golf and previous when I was traveling with any of those guys I'd probably show up on a Monday night uh get some work in Tuesday they were usually in the pro-am on Wednesday I would try to stay and at least watch them play nine holes on Thursday, just so I could get feedback as to what they're doing on the golf course when in a tournament round. So, uh, you know, if it was fortunate enough where they played early, I could watch all 18 holes. And then I was usually on the last flight out of there on Thursday night, coming back home and then working with my students here and then maybe going back out a week later, two weeks later. And, but with Kyle, it evolved into man full time. Right. So, um, traveling, staying, you know, staying all week and, uh, you know, at the golf course, you know, an hour and a half before he tees off, watching him play all 18 holes and, and heading back to the hotel and, and push repeat. Um, and it was awesome. It was a great experience. I enjoyed every second of it. Um, you know, does an instructor need to be there full time like that? I, you know, I don't know. These guys are pretty darn good at golf. I don't think they need somebody on, on them all times. Um, but that's what he wanted at that time. And then I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was pretty cool. Do a lot of the top players tend to have coaches with them at all times? Yeah, I mean, I learned a lot when I was out there, and these guys have teams, right? And and Reed can attest to this. They've got they've got a trainer or a physio guy. They've got a, a Cairo or a deep tissue guy. They've got their manager. They've got their caddy. They've got their swing coach there. Um, a lot of your big players have somebody there you know, for, for a few days every week, uh, do they stick around all week? No, probably not. But, um, 
these teams are three and four and five deep of all the big players uh, or bigger players, the established players, I guess I should say. And, and some of these young guys that come out on tour, maybe they don't have that team quite developed yet, but they're moving in that direction when they have some success. Super, super interesting to know. Um, I had a question that popped in my brain when you're talking about your, your early um, hopes and dreams of trying to, trying to make it professionally yeah. um, onto the tour. Who are, who are some of the – maybe you played with some players and maybe they, their play you're, made you realize, oh, I, I, can't, I can't compete with that guy. Is there someone that um, sticks out in your mind of when you were playing? Yeah, I mean, early on, I, I played. I played a couple. God, they had to be buy dot com events back then, uh, before the web dot com took over what is now the Corn Ferry Tour. And I remember playing a practice round with a guy named Matthias Gronberg out of Sweden, and he was on the tour and didn't get in that week and came to Oregon, the event that I qualified for. And I'm watching him hit the ball, and I'm just like, this. <laughs> I don't have this. I don't have what this guy has. Uh, I played with Boyd Summerhays, who who coaches Tony Finau and and some other guys out there uh, right now. And Boyd, Boyd was a stud, you know, and I watched these guys play and I'm like, wow, uh, pretty impressive. But I'll tell you the one guy I, I, I played with Adam Hadwin in a Monday qualifier up in Canada and we were paired together. Um, and it was a four spotter. There's 60 guys for four spots. And kind of when you get it going and you just want to beat the two guys in your group, cause you think you have a better chance to get it done. Uh, and Adam and I, he was just out of college at Louisville then. He was still an amateur uh, Monday qualifying for the Times Colonist up in Canada. And I'm just watching him hit the ball at 22 years old. And, you know, I'm 32 at the time. And I'm just like, dude, he hits it so far. And he, everything's so solid. And, you know, I'll never forget we're on the eighth hole, which is kind of a reasonably drivable par four at like 325 yards. And I don't have that firepower. So I hit a little five wood out there you know, 70 yards short of the green and he drives it right on the front edge. And we're both two under par at the time thinking I got to beat this guy. He, you know, he's trying to beat me. I'm trying to beat him. And, and, you know, I hit it in there about two feet from 80 yards and he two putted for birdie and we're walking off the green. He goes, dude, I knew you were going to stuff it. And, you know, just so like, he's, he's one that I look at at that age that I was like, eh, I just don't have that, you know, and, and you just kind of see what the, where technology's gone in golf. If you just kind of, you don't have that gear it's really tough to make it out there and, and reed can attest to that with his experience out there you just don't see many guys that hit a 275 yards and have any success out there it's hard but yeah adam's adam's one that i think about right there that i was like um i just don't have that and, and look at the success he's gone on to have right so it just proves that he was pretty good at golf and still is if you're hitting a 275 off the tee, you better be hitting 13 fairways of greens – sorry, 13 fairways around and 16 greens around. I mean, that's what it, that's what it boils down to. Or Either that or you better be able to chip and putt like a king. What's crazy yeah, is I mean, he doesn't even you – know, Back when I was doing it, 2009, 2010, you know, the distances weren't as crazy as they are now. But you're right. If, if you're trying to do it right now, like I have some college kids that I work with and some kids that, that just graduated college and have aspirations of playing pro. And, and those are tough conversations to have and look them dead in the eye and say, look, if, if you don't if you don't carry the golf ball right now, if you don't carry it 290 plus, it's it's very hard out there. And it's it's just me being honest with them from what I've seen in my time out there. And I think, Reed, you would say the same thing. It's like, dude, if if you can't carry a bunker at 285 yards right now, uh, it's going to be hard. And, and I would never tell anybody you're never going to make it, but go prove me wrong. Go work hard on like what you're saying. Look, if I only hit it 280, I'm going to, I'm going to work my, work my ass off on trying to putt and chip better than anybody out there. And if you do that, you're going to have some success, you know, but I mean, it's, there's it's some, definitely hard there's, if you don't pound it. There's some, you can train, right? I mean, you can you can get in the gym and you can do mm -hmm. speed drills, all all you can, right? But it feels like each body almost has some sort of limit, right? Yeah, I mean, you know. Um, or do you, you do you do encourage? Hey, you you're a really great player. You know, you're talking to one of your students, like, hey, you're a really great right. player. And this is what you really need to do. You really need to get into the gym this off season, put on put on some pounds, 
some muscle mass and do speed drills just the entire off season to get your driver out there further. You have to. Um, I think, I think we have bigger, better athletes playing golf right now that didn't play golf 20 years ago. Um, and they just have speed. Uh, I think, I, I think I heard, uh, Phil's old caddy bones say, you know, teach kids that are 10 and 11 right now, teach them to pump it, teach them to hit it, worry about where it's going later. You know, and so you just you got to find a way to to develop that speed and figure out where it's going at some point, right? Because look at what these guys are doing. I, I just, you know, Dylan Fratelli at the Masters this year, they were talking about how he's put on or picked up five, six, seven miles an hour club head speed, and he's hitting it pretty far right now. And and he's obviously a very good golfer, but I think what you see him Bryson do he's he's motivating some guys to find that extra three four five miles an hour of club head speed so that I'm not going to say so that they can compete but it just gives them a little better chance I would say right so I these two kids that I'm talking about I had a hard conversation with them last week of you know they've both been trying to chase some mini tours and some state opens for about a year and I looked at both of them and I said are you having any fun doing it yeah it's great I go are you having any success well, not really. I go, then what can we do different? What have you done this last year that we can change? Can we get in the gym? Can we, can we do some speed training? Can we get in better shape? You know, so if, if they're going to do it for three or four years, I just want them when they're done at three or four years to say, I, I did everything I could. I feel like you know? the biggest so, advantage with the, the speed that you saw was like Dustin uh, was DeChambeau this week. He played just about as poorly as he could have. And he still made the cut. Right. Like, if right. you were just watching this, you would have thought he missed the cut by 20, and he made the yeah. cut on the number and beat out a whole lot of very good golfers. Hey, but yeah, he lost to Bernard Langer, the I mechanic. Just, I was just <laughs> going to say that. Yeah. I said before, Bernard Langer is like the greatest golfer of all time. Screw Tiger. We got Bernard Langer. The guy's still he's making absolute, cuts. He's an absolute machine. I mean, how many times has he won on the Champions Tour? I mean, the guy is just – and he plays 30 weeks a year. I mean, the guy – like, you could ask that guy, do you love golf? And he's going to say, I love golf. He doesn't know, you know anything you, else. <laughs> right. You look at some of these other players, and I'm not knocking any of them, but golf, they're just sick at golf. They just are good at golf, and they can play 22 events a year, 25 events a year. They can make their $2 million a year and, and have – have a great life. And then you just got other guys that are more motivated that want to play 30 times a year and make $7 million a year. It's, it's all up to the person and kind of what they want to do. But I was, I mean, super impressed with what Bernard Longer did this week at the masters. And he continues to just win at the champions tour level, which that's probably one of the toughest tours to get on and win on. Those guys are so good out there. Uh, all these guys that are 46, 47 and say, I want to go play the champions tour. Dude, it's brutal. It's hard to get out there. And those guys are good at golf. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's just really such a good. hard game. Yeah. A lot of those guys are really good, but I want to go back to the masters here. Um, yeah. You know, watching, we watched a few holes in the back nine on Sunday and, and a new name, not, I wouldn't say new name that popped up, but a name we haven't heard about in a little while, Cam Smith. I think I think he's going to win soon. Uh, I think he has a lot of talent, and I think he's vying for a big future. He's like incredible, Cam yeah. Smith. Had him on my DraftKings team. Just going to put that out there. The, the first first ever four rounds in the sixties at Augusta National, and he doesn't even win. That's yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, he played he played so well. He's been incredible in majors, like throughout his career. I feel like he just. He's had a bit of an off year up until the restart, so maybe that kept him a bit under the radar. Yeah, Cam hey, won. Cam won in, uh... Just for uh, you'll know. Oh, it throws out. Losing. Yeah, I lost your read. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Cam Smith's not the longest hitter either. No, not at all. No, I think we got not at all. Uh, what I was gonna say, sorry, boy, that froze out there. What I was gonna say is. Uh, Cam Smith and Griff, you'll know this. Cam Smith's girlfriend is actually from Bainbridge Island. She grew up playing. She, junior, really? she grew up playing junior tournaments in the same kind of age brackets that I was playing. You know, okay. JRGTs and WSGA, WJGAs, and her name yeah. is uh, Jordan Ochoveras. I don't know if you okay. recognize that. At all. 
Well, uh, so Cam was, kind of a cool Cam and Kyle. Deal. Cam and Kyle were kind of playing out of the same category at the beginning of this year. And so I got to watch Cam play, you know, probably six rounds with Kyle. And I was super impressed with, with his ball striking and what he does. And and she was walking around. So I chatted with her a little bit, but I obviously didn't put two and two together that she was from our area. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, Cam won at, uh, where do you went at Sony at the beginning of this year in January? And, yeah. and, I mean, I, I looked at the kid's irons, and there's just a wear spot in the middle of the face of every iron that kid has. And he just – he's a flusher, man. He, he's, he's not the longest out there, but I tell you, what I watched of the Masters, he, he putted it very, very well and hit it as good as he normally does and just made a, made a bucket load of putts. I mean, and, and that's what it takes to have three rounds – or four rounds in the 60s at, at Augusta. And, I mean, the kid's just nails, right? Kid was kid was strong. If if you want to win any, anywhere, I don't care what tour, you better make a, a lot of putts. Yeah, you have to. You have to because those but guys aren't going to be afraid to make putts. It's crazy. Right, right. So, and that's – I mean, we can get back to Bryson here for a second. Um, what I was saying leading into the Masters is Bryson doesn't – hasn't ever putted well at Augusta. Um, a lot of people attain that to them not allowing the – the greens books, um, which he seems to have a novel of every other course on the tour. So, um, yeah, I mean, putting's huge. Bryson's a a great putter statistically, but maybe he's so analytical that he doesn't have the feel for Augusta national yet. I, I a hundred percent think Bryson can win at Augusta national. Um, but it's going to take some years for him to figure out those greens. I think. I mean, yeah, sometimes I think... people that just need to learn how to play a golf course with, with their style of golf. And I, that's so true. Like, there's horses for courses. I've always believed in there's horses for courses. And not saying you can't play well at a certain golf course, but I think sometimes your game suits a golf course and it's easier to adapt to that golf course, if you will. So not saying not over time that you can't play well there, but sometimes it may just take a few more go-rounds just trying to say, oh, this is what I should do on 13, or oh, this is this is where the top T ball needs to be on 18, or whatever. You know, it just kind of it solidifies it. Chris, did you see yeah. on hole hole three this week when DeChambeau's ball got plugged and lost? I did see that, and that's super unfortunate. Um, had there been some fans there, they would have they would have said, you need to look in this area. You know, I I do think changing it from five minutes to three minutes. And it's probably had a little bit to do with, with looking for your ball now. Um, that, that was unfortunate, and it seemed to derail him a little bit. But, you know, those are things that are going to happen. And, and um, you know, he probably looks back at that saying, I didn't quite handle it the right way. And, and it was an unfortunate break. Uh, if there were fans there, I really think they would have heard it hit and say, no, you need to look right there. You know, if they had another minute, they may have found it. I thought I heard on coverage that, that a volunteer or a, a, a uh, person found it like two minutes later while he was back at the tee or, or after he hit. So, I mean, that, that was unfortunate. And obviously he made a big number there and I think he bogeyed four as well. And it just kind of seemed to derail him a little bit, but um, that, that kid, you know, I, when I caddied for Dre and Napa, he, he, with Andres, he was paired with Andre for 36 holes and he, he, the kid's good at golf. Uh, he's doing his stuff with, the one length clubs, he's doing the stuff with the putter up his arm and he believes in it. And obviously we've seen the mass that he's put on and how far he's hitting it right now. Um, but I will say in, until I see 25 guys out there doing that same thing uh, with the one length clubs and, and the stuff that he's buying into, I, I, it works for him. He's into the scientific side of things. And this kid, this kid will win. I mean, Bryson will win. I, I, I don't know. I, I Bryson will win five or six times in the next two years. He's that good, uh, like anybody out there. But he believes in what he's doing, and that's what's scary. Uh, he believes in all the, the science that he's doing and, and putting on the muscle to hit it as far as he is. Somehow he's maintaining flexibility, and, and that comes with hard work and, and good for him. Um, he's motivating other players to hit it further. But, you know, you just you can't control some things, uh, and that's what he'll learn. Uh, to how to handle those things a little bit better. And, and speaking to Reed's point, you know, if you're a 20-year a guy on the PGA Tour, you've played these golf courses every year. 
the tournaments that you go to and, and Reed will attest to this. They're pretty much the same pens uh, for the most part every year. Uh, you might go back to a course and they added a new tee on number seven. So you got to go check that out. But for the most part, these guys that have been out there 20 years can show up on Tuesday night, play the pro-am on Wednesday, and they're ready to go by Thursday because it's the same golf course they've played for 20 years or 15 years, you know. Um, but that's, uh, that's what he'll learn. That's what all these young guys will learn. And that's what, when these guys make it from the corn ferry to the PJ tour, they've got all new golf courses and they've got to learn the golf courses. And yes, these green books are there for them every week on tour, other than Augusta and other than a couple spots that won't allow them. Uh, you know, my personal opinion, I think some of these guys get too in love with those green books and you know, it, it, if I read greens really well and somebody can buy a book and have more information, then I, I don't know. I, I think at some point we may see that go away. Um, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. Uh, should it? I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I just feel like if I'm a good green reader and somebody can buy a book and be as good as me, that's a tough pill to swallow, you know? Um, if, uh, if those go away, Chris, then Reed, you better keep all your greens books because those are going to be selling for a hot price on the black market. <laughs> I don't yeah, use them. absolutely. Probably between Hubs and I, we probably used five, maybe six greens books in the last two and two years, and yeah. I would say four of them we brought out one or two times during the first thirty-six holes, just to double check a read, and it goes the opposite direction or doesn't do as much or whatever, and the the book goes back in the bag and doesn't see daylight again. See, and I love that. I think that's great. I I mean. You, you watch hubs play, you watch him putt. It's, it's, it's feel right. And, and it's trust of what his eyes see and, and look at the success he's had. Right. And I don't know. I, I, yeah, just, I don't I, like the green books at all. Less cause less. Some people think you shouldn't use them because maybe they don't work as well. I sort of feel like either they could work better or they'll be made eventually or that it's part of the game is reading the greens. It's yeah. like, that's what it is. That's what golf is. I agree. I, you know, I mean, I, I, good for them for experimenting and trying it. And obviously they'll be around for however long they're going to be around and maybe they never do away with them, but Hey, these guys back in the day played a lot of good golf without launch monitors. They played a lot of good golf without track man. They played a lot of good golf without greens books. And, and I, you know, personal opinion, I'd, I'd love to see it maybe get back to that. Um, let some feel, let, let trust your eyes, let some things come back. Griff, and, you just yeah, hit it on the I was going to say there's one word I have to say, and it's feel. Yeah. That's, I mean, when it comes down to the game of golf and getting the ball in the hole, back in Scotland in 1700, they didn't have any of this crap, and they, they made it work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I just – I think you've got kids that are coming up right now in uh, college, just after college, out on the Corn Ferry, mini tours that have only hit balls on a track, man, have only hit balls with – the hottest equipment and they've learned how to just pound on it. And you just, you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of numbers with track man and this and that there's a right time to use that stuff. And, and, you know, you're out on tour and, and you're on the range on Tuesday and there's 20 guys with track mans. And, and um, the one thing I do know they're all using it for is to figure out how far the ball's going in that certain city that they're in. They're charting how far my nine iron's going, how far my eight iron's going. You but know, that's and fair. That's fair. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. 100%. I love it when that's how far my ball is going. Yeah. I love it when that's all they're using it for. Um, because if I showed up to a tournament on Tuesday, unless I'm making a big change coming out of a two month break and I want to look at some path numbers or some angle of attack numbers or any of that. Yeah. I might be looking at some of that, but I think it's 100% a tool that they use every week to figure out how far the ball's going in Las Vegas or in, La Jolla at Torrey or Phoenix. And, and I think that's great. I, you need that. I think that's awesome. Um, but if they're standing on the range on Tuesday, looking at path and looking at this stuff, uh, you know, how good a They've week are they going to have? I don't know. They, right. I mean, there's, there's some of that, right. Um, that stuff should all be done at home when I'm on an off week, I'm figuring all that stuff out. And then when I get to a tournament, hopefully I've, I've got it figured out or I can trust what I've got figured out. And then I want to know how far my clubs are carrying. And then, like Reed says, I want to get back to feeling it. I want to get back to trusting what I see and what I can create and just go. 99% of the time, if you, if you go with your eyes, your result, whether it's wrong or right, in your read or in your number that you want to play or whatever, 99% of the time, you're still going to hit a better golf shot. 
because you're more yeah. confident making a confident swing. Sure, it may end up front fringe or back fringe, or uh, you, you played the wind dead in and it was in off the left or whatever, so it ends up right fringe, but you're still in position. You know what I mean? And it's you start getting hesitant, and that's where stuff starts changing. I'm not sure who they yeah, were saying I, that about. It might have been Tim Tucker. Uh, not what, I thought it might have been with Bryson where they were saying sometimes he'll take out a club and it might be off by a couple yards or he'll think, and the caddy will just be like, oh, yeah, no, this is perfect, like right before, because he's going to hit it anyway. So you like at least be confident when you're hitting it that you were right. Yeah, you have to commit, right? You have to commit. And if you end up hitting a bit of a bad shot, at least you committed to it. And I talk to my students all the time about putting. It's like, dude, I just I want you to hit a putt that keeps your attention. I don't, I mean, I care if it goes in or not, uh, trust me, when I play as well. But if I hit a putt that keeps my attention the whole way it's rolling to the hole and it happens to lip out or happens to miss however high side, low side, as long as I know I hit a good putt, I'm walking to the next tee with confidence. Um, and, and I'm only looking to hit putts that keep my attention. And the more solid you hit a putt, the longer it keeps your attention, the more you make putts. And that's, that's Griff, that line, what, I, what I believe. That line will be used this week with Hubbard and I now. I mean, I love that. You know, we've all done new caddy. You'll know who to blame. We've all, we've all hit putts, right? When it comes off the face, you know, it's not in whether it's short, long misery, but the more putts you hit that keep your attention, you're just going to the next tee with confidence. And it's not, you're not standing on the next tee worried about a six footer. You hit a bad putt on and, and trust me, we all go through that. But I tell a lot of people, the more, the more putts you hit, that keep your attention, you just kind of stay confident the whole day. And that's, that's all we're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, that goes into the school of thought, right. Of like always trying to take the highest line on a putt because you're always, it's always working back towards the hole. And like, I mean, we've all done it. Like you said, when you miss a putt low, you like it's halfway there and you already know it's got no chance of going in because it's already too low. At least and you're just, if you're taking the high line, you, there's, you just feel like there's a chance that it might, you know, overbreak and make its way back in. Um, and it just instills that confidence in you that, oh, I still hit a good putt. Right. And the more good putts or the more I believe I hit a good putt, then I'm probably going to strike the ball a little bit better. I'm going to give myself a few extra opportunities. I might hit 14, 15 greens instead of 12. And that's huge. Um, you know, I play in a lot of pro-ams and, and obviously, Reed, you see it out on tour. I mean, how many guys have some of the best equipment you've ever seen and then you look at their putter and it looks like it's from a garage sale that they got 40 years ago and they don't, they don't care about it. And they there's get, still guys, I mean, there's still guys like, for instance, Hubs posts putts with a putter from that was made eight years ago. Yeah. And there's some guys that put with a putter that was made in 95 or whatever. Yeah. I it's, think – I think at that level, you got a couple of clubs that are tough to get out of tour players' bags, and that's usually a three-wood and a putter. And if they've had success with a putter, they're going to stick with it as long as they can. And obviously, they were talking about Dustin going back and forth with putters, and he's back to an old putter. They were talking about Patrick Cantlay back to a putter from eight years ago, and they ask him, well, why did you switch from that putter? And they're like, I, I don't know. I don't know why I did. And they're back to it, right? So – you, you, you find a good putter that, that rolls the ball properly with not a ton of skid, then you make a lot of putts with it. You should keep, keep riding that wave. And, I mean, Reed, you've seen it. How many guys do you see with a three-wood in their bag that's three or four or five generations old, and they hit it super oh, awesome? Super they, they probably have a backup to it in case the face ever caves in or gets like stolen. Or, you know. We had a three-wood from 2015 that we just switched over this, this season. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that was a five-year three-wood, you know what I mean? Yeah. You find I mean, right until you find one that's equivalent. So, these guys complain. I shouldn't say complain, but some of the equipment's going too far nowadays. And, and if I am hitting three-wood off the tee, I want it to be a certain trajectory and kind of go a certain distance. And if I'm going into a par five with a three-wood, I want it to launch up in the air and, and carry 260 or 270. And all of a sudden, you get some of these hot three-woods, and they're hitting them 280, and it's like, I can't hold a green doing that, or I, I'm not launching it at the right trajectory to hold a green. So you find these guys, they'll, they'll switch drivers, they'll switch irons, this or that, but they hold on to three woods and they hold on to putters because it flights it the right way for what they want it to do. And like you say, Hubs is playing one from five years ago. There's also a great right. point on the putters, uh, a little throwback to 
three weeks ago, we had Aaron Crawford on the pod, who's a PGA Tour caddy, former player. And uh, he won the major league of putting, like the best putters in the world won like 25 grand. He said that he doesn't even keep a putter for more than a couple months. He just keeps switching. Yeah. You know, I, I challenge like how much technology is in a putter, right? I mean, obviously they, they do a ton of research and development on everything and tell you my putter rolls the ball the best, but you know, I don't care if somebody's putting with a shoe on the end of a yardstick. If they roll it properly, it, it doesn't matter what exactly. that putter looks like. Look at happy you on now, the hockey with the hockey stick. Yeah, absolutely. Hundred percent with hockey sticks. Uh, Sheldon Sure, I don't know if you're a big hockey fan, but Sheldon Sure, who's a defenseman for the Canadians, had the hardest shot in the league. He once uh, broke his stick when they uh, they switched over to like the fiberglass sticks from wood sticks. And his broke, and they saw it was wood inside, and he was just painting it. Like, Easton <laughs> was paying him to That's paint crazy. his fiberglass and fake it because he refused yeah. to switch. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to get these guys that play a sport at a high level to make change. And I think you see these manufacturers that come out with new equipment every 12 months or every 14 months, whatever their product cycle is. And when, it, when these tour players switch to the new product, they know they have something good for the consumers by based on how fast a tour player switches. Um, yeah. You know, cause you know, you look at Taylor made, you look at Titleist, they're coming out with new product every 12 months to 14 months. And when tour players switch equipment and put a new club in play really quick, the manufacturers probably look at each other and go, Oh, we, we got something good here when the best players in the world are switching or seeing a difference. Right. Yeah. And you saw with Justin Rose, he switched and, it's gone yeah. downhill from there. He, he was like the number one golfer in the world, winning everything. Yeah, very he true. Those fancy homers. But uh, yeah. before we move on to uh, some Tiger and DJ talk, obviously, because we got to get to that, we'll shoot to Reed for uh, some quick ads he has. Perfect. Yeah, just, just my partners and our partners that we partner with. I uh, just always like to give them a big shout out and – you know, uh, we always believe in what they have and what they do. And uh, to my new home, uh, Columbus, Ohio, Forma Cars, uh, they create um, replica Cobras and, and all sorts of sports cars and that is done by uh, Laser Design. Um, when you go in and laser design these, they can do anything they want with them really and basically make that model their own. And they've done some pretty cool stuff. Uh, out to Tommy Dodge Design in California. Uh, thank you for supplying my clothing. Um, the partnership we've created, Tommy Dodge Design, will create anything you need and anything you want. Uh, surf and Surf Golf in uh, Texas. Um, mainly a hat company. Also does some shirts, some long sleeves, um, some really neat designs. If you go on to their uh, website, surfandsurfgolf.com, uh, find something you like, put in the discount code readmartin15, and you'll reserve, receive 15% off of your, uh, your total purchase. And then also, and not last but least, uh, Zach, Nolan from the Back Tees podcast. Always love uh, having you guys out there on the on the camera, repping the logo. Uh, always glad to be with you guys. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh... – Thanks, three Quality products. And for everyone listening, you could check it out in the uh, bio to the pod. We have the links and everything. But uh, back to the Masters. Before we get to the winner, I think a huge story that hasn't been talked about enough. Everyone's talking about Tiger making the 10 on 12. People aren't talking nearly enough about the fact that he made five birdies in the next six holes, which is like the complete opposite of what we were saying with Bryson, how he didn't react so well after. The Zach, the one thing I saw on Tiger's comments on that, which I really loved, was how much he related this to other sports. If you're screwing up big time in baseball, you're a pitcher, they yank you, they go to the bullpen. You're, you know, soccer, basketball, whatever, they pull in the sub, you know, you're getting you're getting out of there if you're doing terrible. If you're shooting a 10 on a par three, you're getting yanked and they're putting someone else and you just got to forget about it and worry about the next game. In golfers' cases, they got their caddy there and they got to play, in Tiger's case, six more holes to finish out the round. I know he wasn't in contention, but I think it just goes to show you what kind of competitor Tiger Woods is. 
birdieing five out of the last six holes to, you know, say, hey, I'm still Tiger Woods, and this is the Masters. I love this golf tournament. I'm going to put it all out there. And it just goes to show you what kind of guy he is. Yeah, I think it shows you that he could obviously still compete with these guys. You take out that, what, he finishes eight under? Is that top ten or it's just outside the top ten? Yeah. Crazy. I mean, I mean Tiger- the guy is absolutely repetitive, especially at Augusta. I mean, you take that ten out, give him a – even even have him make double, man. That's still so respectable of a golf tournament. You know what I mean? Even though he's not winning, like, he's still right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he I had mean, a, go, ahead. go ahead, Chris. So, I mean, he, we work with a lot of kids. We work with a lot of college kids, high school kids. And, like, this week with all our kids' classes coming up, that's the first thing I'm going to tell every one of these kids that watch the Masters is look at what Tiger Woods did after he made a 10. Um, it just shows – how much he loves the game. It shows what a competitor he is. He never gives up. He's into every shot. I mean, I bet you he would tell you the 10 that he made. He was trying his hardest on every shot. He never gave up and it, you could see it. And then, like you say, he birdies five of the last six. And what I think is great is they showed every one of them and every birdie that he made, the putt went in the middle of the hole at perfect speed. He executed the shots exactly how he wanted to, as if he was in the lead of the golf tournament. And that's, you don't, you can't teach that. I, I, I don't think that's, that's something it's ingrained in you. Um, you, you will probably wouldn't see anybody else in that golf tournament do what he did. I think everybody else would have just kind of mailed it in, went through the motions and said, get me out of here. I'm, I'm embarrassed. Uh, you know, he got in in an interview, Amanda Balionis asked him exactly about it. And, and I love what you said about his comments. Look, I, if I was a pitcher, I was out, I was subbed out. I mean, I, you don't get that in golf. And he proved something to me at 44 years old or how 44, 45, he'll be 45 in December. I believe this dude still cares. Uh, and he still wants to play the best golf he can play. And that was, Hey, no offense to DJ. I'm, I'm, I think it's awesome that he won, but that part of what I saw Tiger Woods do this week was pretty awesome at the masters. It was it's, it's, cool. it's something special, man. It's it really, yeah, no, doubt. no doubt. Yeah, um, I mean, he was there on Thursday, obviously. shot a 68, which everyone was raving about. They're like, oh, man, Tiger could do it this week. He This has tied his career low on a Thursday at, I guess, a national. Um, he even had a good look on um, – it would have been on hole nine on Thursday to shoot shoot his career low, which would have been a 67 on Thursday. Um, and then – he had, you know, the the weather delay kind of didn't really work in his favor, I would say, um, with his weird Friday, Saturday that he had to deal with. And, you know, he just – he really just did not have it on Saturday. He couldn't put anything together. And he was grinding really hard Friday and Saturday just to shoot those scores that he, that he was shooting. Um, but always cool to see him out there. And, I mean, what we've been talking about on this podcast – is like Tiger Woods through and through. We were talking about feel and Tiger. I know he doesn't even, he doesn't even pick a landing spot. Like a lot of us do when we're chipping onto the green, he will just look at the pin and just like take in the green undulations and the scenery he says, and just like visualize the shot. And he doesn't, he doesn't like pick a landing spot that so many guys um, do. He just is up there and feeling the golf course and feeling the shot and obviously he uses the age-old Scotty Cameron still you know he has made some changes but he's back to it um so very I mean he's we've been talking about everything we've been talking about as related back to Tiger Woods yeah crazy and then obviously lastly the big story Dustin Johnson winning his second major Taking home the green jacket, 20 under. I don't even have a question, but Chris, I just want to know, what do you think about this? And how the hell did you shoot so low? I mean, the guy's just good at golf. And he's he just – he makes it look easy. Um, I've had the privilege of walking around Augusta uh, on every tee box, every green with Kyle. That golf course is hard. Um, I do think – 
the conditions played into his favor this week with everything being kind of soft, but he was still the best player there. And, and to win that golf tournament by five and kind of, you know, take Dustin out. How exciting, very exciting Masters this year, but take Dustin out. How good of Masters would this have been coming down the stretch watching these guys battle? I mean, he won by five, right? So um, obviously he drove it so well, hit his irons very well, guy putted nice, and it, it just all came together this week. But I do believe the conditions played to his favor a little bit, and he was the one that executed the shots the best. But um, so happy for him to see him win another major. He, you know, look at him smile in his interviews. Look at him break down in his interviews. You can tell how much it meant to him. And that, that was the most you know, emotion I think we've ever seen from Dustin Johnson, which is really yeah. cool to see. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, so cool to see and not taking anything away from anybody else. He was the best player in the field that week, but to see him smile as much as he was and a few fist pumps, like you say, it's the most emotion we've seen out of him. And we've all, we all know that he's had some trials and tribulations closing out some majors. And it was very awesome to see him, you know, win this one a little bit stress-free for lack of better terms. I was looking at um, one I know I, it might not be so stress-free. I think the lead got to one at one point and then. Yeah, it got, it got a little tight and then he did what he does and, and um, pretty impressive. Yeah. Underrated putter, I think. Underrated wedge game, I think for sure. I mean, he was so good with his wedges this week. Yeah. And he, he put a lot of hard work in a couple of years ago on his track, man, knowing how far his wedges go and carrying certain distances. And, and I saw him, I saw him at the U S open at Pebble, uh, literally for an hour on the range, hit nothing but his 60 degree wedge, or it looked like a 60 degree wedge. I can't verify that perfectly, but literally just hitting, hitting wedges and, and figuring out how to hit certain distances. And I think that's, you know, when he drives it good, when he drives it well, he's going to blow away golf courses, but you still have to wedge it on the green and you still have to make putts. And I think we saw that with Tiger back in the day. He overpowered golf courses, but he would hit wedges to 30 feet. Um, and, you know, you figure out what you need to do. And it was neat to see Dustin work hard for the last few years and see it pay off. And, you know, he, he was out for a couple of weeks with COVID and, you know, who knows how much work he was doing. Um, but he comes back and look at his finishes in the last few weeks. I mean, the guy's pretty steadily. Yeah, big storylines coming into the week. Nobody was real. I mean, everyone was giving him a chance, obviously, but no one was picking him so much as they were picking like Bryson or even Justin Thomas or who, who name it. But um, I, yeah, super cool to see Dustin Johnson win the Masters. Um, I think he's a, a lock for the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. He's just an outstanding golfer in a generation of very deep fields. And yeah. so it's amazing really, how well he's played too. He's come first or second, I think seven straight tournaments now. And uh, do you guys think he's, uh, what do you think? You think he could win two in a row in the same year in April? Don't, don't count it out. Yeah. I would not, yeah. not count it out. That would be crazy. if He just wins two in uh, six months. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, just, that golf course, that golf course has got to be a little different in November than it is in April. But if he continues to work on the things he's working on, do not count it out. I mean, obviously yeah, I mean, he, he got proved second. Us. He got second last April. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> one guy, I it think, could get scary. I think someone who could be coming in with a huge amount of confidence come April is Rory McIlroy. He shot 75 in the opening round. You take that out, turn that into a 69, he's right up there. Why yeah. Why can Rory not figure yeah. out the first well, round at Augusta National? Shot like, I think, 73 or something in the opening round. Yeah. Who's that? Brooks Kepka. Yeah. Also, mm -hmm. But my Canadian boy, Corey Connors. That was awesome. And then top 10. Yeah. But, uh... I guess closing things out, we always close things out the same way. We always do a little bit of trivia and then a Tiger stat. And I guess we'll do the Tiger stat first since I sort of have a feeling it's going to be Masters related. It is Masters related. Um, it's just a little quick note and uh, maybe a little <laughs> prophetic. Let's see. Um, going back, Bubba Watson, um, we know when he won. I think it's 2014 he won the Masters. Um, the following year in 2015, 
in the final round on Sunday, but Watson made a 10 on hole number 12. He went on to win the Masters in 2016. Tiger Woods won the Masters last year, 2019, made a 10 on hole number 12 this uh, this past Sunday. We'll see what happens uh, come April. The people who figure these things out are like, it blows my mind that someone yeah. found that out. Probably like Reed. Oh, you're on mute, Reed. <laughs> yeah, it probably was Reed. <laughs> The simple things in life that make us happy. Uh, last but not least, I always do a trivia fact, uh, Griff. Um, some sort of interesting fact from where the PGA Tour is at that week. This week we're in Sea Island, Georgia, uh, or uh, rather have you St. Simon Island, um, home of maybe one of the best barbecue places in the country. But uh, without that, in 1794, this many live oak trees from St. Simon's <laughs> Island were <laughs> constructed. How many uh, warships? So how many? How many? How many live oak trees did they take to construct warships from St. Simon's Island? What? A one thousand. Oh, thank goodness. C four thousand. D eight thousand. Four thousand. I go with. That's my guess. Lock it in. I'm saying eight thousand. You're you're putting me on the spot with a question like this. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> give give me the uh, what 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 one thousand four thousand eight thousand. What was it? One one thousand two thousand four thousand eight thousand. I gotta go with four thousand. I'm going going big eight. All right, and then seventeen ninety four two thousand live oak trees were taken to construct a warship that's a lot of trees i mean think about think about how many oak trees that takes i mean it's it's funny because you look outside the golf course now and there's still a wrecked ship out there so now it's I know still the, there isn't it now it is things about reed he he loves golf he wants to be a police officer and he's a big oak tree guy <laughs> <laughs> oh, and hotel hey, you didn't in vegas you didn't tell me you were putting me on the spot with a trivia question like that. I might not have come on this podcast if I knew I was put on the spot like that. That's every week. I told you to study before. Let's, yeah. let's be honest. St. Simon's Island, there's golf, and that's about it. That's about it. Very fair. It's uh, hard to come up with something. We did, we did find that the oak trees from St. Simon's Island did build warships. It's impressive. Interesting. Well, boys, thank you. I appreciate it. Griff, thank you for coming on. You got, you are the best, man. You're one of my favorites of all time. I love talking to you and bullshit with you. Always catching up and I uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It was a, it was a real pleasure and uh, I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. You Good bet, luck, guys. Reed, and thanks for listening to the From the Back Tees podcast.